distant in your marriage? Well, I hope I have the solution today. Welcome to the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast, the place where we try to think of marriage as less of a to-do list and more of a passionate adventure. For the last few weeks, I've been looking at sex and how we can think of sex in a mutual way. And on the blog this week, I was doing that again. I was sharing a very personal story about how I saw sex when we were first married in a really warped way because of some of the teaching that I heard. And I'm going to be continuing that on the podcast next week. But I didn't want to repeat myself too much, so I thought that I would take a little bit of a jog away from what I was talking about on the blog this week and towards something that has really been on my mind a lot lately. You see, I get an awful lot of emails from women who are saying, my husband is just awful. He does all of these terrible things and he never listens to me and he's not nice to me and he never talks to me and he never shares anything with me and he's just a terrible, terrible person. And I think to myself, if he's such a terrible person, why did you marry him? Now, I am very, very aware that a lot of women are married to narcissists and honestly abusive husbands, and they didn't know before they were married because these guys were chameleons who, who hid everything. I get that. And if you are in an abusive marriage, this podcast is probably not the one for you. I've done other ones that are more for you. I've written so much on my blog about how to handle emotionally abusive marriages. Go check out those posts. I'll leave some I'll leave some links in the post in all the podcast extras that show up on tolovehonorandvacuum.com. So I am very aware that there is a lot of emotional abuse going on in marriage. But in the majority of cases where people feel distant in marriage, the issue really isn't one of abuse. It honestly isn't. It's just that you've grown apart and you're really, really disappointed in one another. So let me just ask you a question, okay? Okay, so so for all of you who are still with me, you're not in abusive marriages. You just may feel a little bit distant or like you're just not getting along. Let me ask you a question. Are you generally a nice person? Like seriously, do people generally like you? Are you kind to others? Do you ask how they're doing? Do you genuinely care if they're having a hard time? Okay, now try your best to answer this one objectively. Is your husband generally a nice person? Do others find him trustworthy and kind? Do others consider him to be responsible? Now, if you're like most people, okay, the answers to both questions will be yes, because most people enjoy being liked by others and most people genuinely enjoy having good relationships with others. Now, of course, some don't. Like I said, there are some marriages where there really are abusive spouses and those spouses couldn't care less about other people. But I'm not talking about those emotionally destructive relationships right now. I'm just saying that most people genuinely do enjoy other people and want other people to like them. So what I want you to do now is ask this question. Am I a different person with the way that I act towards my husband? Is he a different person with the way that he acts towards me? For instance, I have a friend who is so gregarious. She's always talking to everyone. She hugs everyone. She's helpful. She's kind. She's the first one to volunteer at everything at church. She's smiling all the time. She's a ton of friends. But with her husband, she rarely smiles and she rarely has a conversation. Everything, every time they talk, it's just her explaining to him what needs to be done. And that's where the talking ends. That's basically their texting conversations too. It's all to-do lists. 
the way that she acts with her husband is completely at odds with her natural personality. Similarly, her husband is usually very aware of other people's feelings, and he goes to lengths to make sure that those in the church feel welcome. He runs the welcoming committee. He's amazing, but he doesn't seem to care for his wife. And I have seen this dynamic in so many marriages, and here's what I have concluded. When two people treat each other much more harshly and less lovingly than they treat everyone else, the problem is usually a relationship one, not a character one. And that is really key to understand because the reason that the negative dynamic started often was something like this. He does something and she feels hurt. Maybe he comes in late one day and he doesn't tell her why and she starts suspecting things or she thinks that he's being insensitive. Whatever it might be, he does something and she feels hurt. She assumes that he did it to hurt her and she assumes that he knows that she's hurt and doesn't care. She tries to explain he doesn't get it and that cements that idea that he doesn't care. So she withdraws. He now feels distant and judged even though he's not quite sure why. So then he withdraws and soon they're prickly with each other because they both feel unloved. But what if he never meant to hurt her? What if it was simply a misunderstanding? Or what if it's simply a personality difference? Keith and I are speaking at a Family Life Marriage Conference this weekend in Victoria, British Columbia. We do this a couple of times a year. And I remember one marriage conference we were at a while back, we ended up talking to this couple that had been married for a couple of decades. And he was one of these type A personalities. He was a pastor, very goal-oriented, very to-do kind of guy. And she lived her life in the clouds. She wanted to be in the moment. Uh, He was very much a thinker. She was very much a feeler (laughs) in the Myers-Briggs term. And I talked about those personality posts back in August. I'll put a link to that in the podcast extras on tolovemodernvacuum.com. But they were just really personality opposites. And because he was so goal-oriented and because he wasn't as in touch with his feelings and he didn't like to talk about feelings as much, she felt like he didn't care. And because she was always withdrawing and because she always was making big deals out of things that he didn't think were that important he began to withdraw because he thought that she was really flighty. And when you talk to them both separately, it was clear that it wasn't just that they felt each other was different. They felt each other was bad. Okay, like they saw each other in very morally bad terms. And this is what often happens is we have this misunderstanding and we withdraw from each other. But instead of just realizing, okay, we're just different or we misunderstood each other, we start thinking the other person is a bad person. And that's where the negative dynamic can really get cemented. And after years and years of building up walls of misunderstanding and walls of hurt, it's very difficult to get back to the beginning. Most divorces happen because two people start treating each other worse than they treat everybody else because they've been hurt. So ask yourself, is the way that we treat each other indicative of our character or is it really more a sign of our relationship? Are you really bad people or is it just that you've gotten into this negative relationship dynamic? The good news is that in the vast majority of cases, it is just a relationship dynamic and that can be fixed. And so I want to share with you some really cool research from the John Gottman Institute. 
John Gottman does a lot of evidence-based research. So they study couples and they don't just look at what couples say to each other. They look at body language. They look at what their eyes do, all kinds of stuff. And just with observing personal interactions, they can predict within about 20 minutes whether couples are going to divorce or not within the next five years. It's actually really cool. And what they found in breaking down all these tiny behavior patterns is that there's actually two main keys to a successful marriage, just two main things that show whether or not a marriage is going to succeed. And they're relatively small things. What they are is whether or not people scan for things to praise and whether or not people look for opportunities to connect. Okay, it's that simple. And I'm going to explain to you what those things mean in practical terms. But first, I want to tell you another story. All right, let me tell you about a woman I know, and we're going to call her Maud. And Maud is an older woman, a senior woman, and I met her through a series of circumstances. She would hang out with a lot of other senior ladies, and you would hear her talking. And she was kind of the life of the party. She was the central focus. She was very, very outgoing. Everybody loved Maud. She was always very encouraging. She knew everybody's grandkids' names. Just one of these wonderful people. But whenever she talked about her husband, she did it in really disparaging terms. She would talk about how Jerry always forgot things, how she would send him to the grocery store and he would come home with entirely the wrong stuff. She would talk about how he wouldn't be able to survive if she wasn't there because he couldn't cook anything. And then the criticisms even went back decades. She would say how she could never leave the kids alone with Jerry because Jerry would do it all wrong and she would worry that the kids were going to die and all of these things. And so I had this impression of Jerry, like he was just this terrible person. And then one day Jerry came into this group to pick up Maude and, and I was expecting this gruff, angry man. And instead he was a teddy bear whose eyes twinkled as he joked with everybody else around. But when he looked at Maude, his eyes grew almost dead. She would almost immediately begin picking at him. He turned away and he would just shrink. To me, he really seemed like a great guy, but she didn't see it. Now, I know that obviously you never know what goes on behind closed doors, and maybe their marriage was very different at home. But from what I saw, here was a guy who really did care about her, and yet she couldn't understand that or even see it. Then there's another friend I have, and we'll call her Elaine. I knew her back in university, and she and her husband Todd are complete opposites. Uh, They've done that Myers-Briggs personality test, and she's an ISFP. That's an introvert, sensing, feeling, perceiving person. And he's an ENTJ, which is what I am too. Extrovert, intuitive, thinking, judging. Uh, And I'll put a link again to those Myers-Briggs posts in the podcast extras. Uh, He's never held one job for more than three years because he's always trying to entrepreneurial ventures, most of which succeed in some way. Uh, He's got several businesses on the go and life is hectic. And his hobbies are hectic too. He just always needs to be up for one more big adventure. She is more of a quiet person and she likes to sit and be quiet. She enjoys quiet hobbies, but he wants adventure. She thrives on stability. He thrives on every new thing. So you would think that they wouldn't necessarily get along that well. But when she talks about him, she always says good things about him. And she may tease him, but she does it while she's touching his arm. She smiles when she looks at him. She's impressed by his many different ideas. She always says nice things about him to other people. And it's an entirely different dynamic. 
So John Gottman, who has been studying the science of marriage, would call Elaine a marriage master and Maud a marriage disaster. And the difference between the two is often not very huge. It's just two little things. And that's what I want to tell you today. All right. So Gottman says that in successful marriages, people scan for successes. So they're looking for good things. In a lot of marriages where distance has grown, contempt is actually the thing that characterizes that marriage. And contempt is the number one thing that drives people apart. Contempt says you aren't doing this right and you never will. Contempt judges and leaves people in the dust. Maud and Jerry were still technically married, but they hadn't been happy in decades because Maud was always showing contempt for Jerry. Contempt means that you notice failures, not successes. I mean, what's the point in noticing a success? Sure, he may have said that one particular thing nicely, but that doesn't count if he never remembers my birthday or if he works so hard that he's rarely here. He may have put the kids in bed tonight so that I can have some time to myself, but that doesn't count because he worked last Saturday and left me with the kids and he's always doing that. You see yourself as the martyr and him as the bad one. And no matter what he does, you don't give him credit because he can never dig himself out of the hole he's in. So what Gottman suggests is that instead of always seeing the negative, you actually look specifically for the good things that people do. And I talked about this a lot in Nine Thoughts That Can Change Your Marriage too. I think it's thought number two, he can't, my husband can't make me mad, and that you notice what he does. Because if you tell yourself every day, I am going to thank my husband for one thing that he does, that it means you have to look for something that he does that's worth thanking him for. And as you look for those things, you notice them. And when you notice them, that becomes the way that you think of your husband. Instead of always thinking of him as the guy who can't do anything right, you start to think of him as the guy who did do something right. When you scan for things to praise, you notice those things and it changes the way you think about someone. In a similar way, if you challenge yourself every day, I'm going to say one nice thing about my husband to someone else, then you have to notice those things because you're looking for something to talk about. And when you notice those things and you think differently about your husband, it does change the dynamic. It's quite amazing. Here's the second thing that marriage masters do in Gottman's words. In a successful marriage, people turn towards each other. So think about this. When your husband walks in the door and yells, hi, what do you do? Do you get up and give him a kiss? Or do you ignore him and keep cooking dinner or stay on your computer or whatever it was that you're doing? I know that I'm very guilty of this. I don't always get up and say hi to Keith, but I'm, I know that's important to him. And this is what Gottman calls a bid for connection. Whenever there is a chance to connect, you pick up on that chance and you run with it. So when someone comes into the room, you turn towards them. You notice them. You say something to them. It's that turning towards each other that shows you matter to me. And we could do the same thing, not just when someone comes in the door or someone comes in the house or the room or whatever, but even in conversation. Like, let's say that your husband said, I saw a guy today who looks just like this guy I used to live beside when I was little. You don't think it could be him, do you? What do you reply? Do you say, well, how would I know? Or do you say, well, don't be silly. You grew up across the country from here. Or do you say, oh, that's interesting. Who was the guy that lived beside you? Or maybe you say, well, you never know. Remember when we met my old math teacher on that bus at the Grand Canyon? You see, in two situations, you can shut down that conversation, 
But in the other two responses, you keep the conversation going. When your husband said that, it was a bid to connect. And too often we take those bids to connect and we shut them down. And that doesn't just stop conversation, it stops communication and that feeling of emotional closeness. In successful marriages, people scan for the bids to connect, and when they happen, they move towards each other, either physically by turning towards someone when they come in the room, or in conversation where you just keep that conversation going. That's it, just two things that can change the whole dynamic of your marriage. I think sometimes women get in this mindset that says something like, my marriage isn't great and it never will be because my husband just doesn't get it, and then they give up trying. They relate to their husbands like the husbands are simply always wrong. They put all of their efforts into their kids or into their jobs or into their ministries. And even if everyone else can see that they're married to a great guy, they can't see it themselves. They gave up a long time ago. And most women who are doing that will not even realize this podcast is about them. If you believe that your husband just doesn't get it and that you are destined to have a lousy marriage, I am talking to you. If you think of your husband as someone who's really pathetic with relationships, I am talking to you. If you believe that your husband is hopeless when it comes to the kids or any kind of personal interaction, I'm talking to you. If you believe that your job is to put up with your husband for the rest of your life, but you'll never be happy, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to the women who think that their husbands are pathetic, who think that their husbands just don't get it, and you're missing out on what your marriage could be. I'm not talking to the women again who are married to men who honestly are bad who, and who are vindictive and who do want the worst for their wives. I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to you who think your husband is just pathetic. Stop scanning for mistakes and start scanning for successes and thank him for them and mention them immediately and stop pulling away from him. When he says something that could bring you closer, pull in closer and pay attention. Do you realize how small these two things are? Most keys to successful marriages tend to be in the small things, in that dynamic that we set in our daily interactions. And no, these things aren't going to solve all marriage problems. But what they do do is lower the tension in your marriage so that you're relaxed around each other because you have goodwill. And if you're relaxed and you feel positively, then you can talk about those bigger issues and deal with them so much more effectively. Many good Christian women show their husbands contempt. And I know many husbands show their wives contempt too. I understand that. It's just I know that it's mostly women who are listening to this podcast. And that's not doing yourself, your husband, or your kids any favors. Show your husband love instead. And maybe I'm more passionate about this because I've had so many emails from women who have just been disparaging their husbands lately. It makes me worry for the state of marriage in general. And I was so encouraged uh, when I asked on Facebook for some happy marriage stories and I shared those on the blog on Tuesday. That was very encouraging to me. Thank you for making me smile and laugh. I really appreciated that. But I want to give you this challenge this week before we get back to our podcast next week about sex is... Scan for things to praise. Thank your husband for one thing every day. One thing that he does. Just thank him. And then look for opportunities to connect. When he walks in the door, when he starts a conversation, don't turn away, but keep those things going. And just see if you do those two things every day. See how the dynamic in your marriage will change. Can you think your way to a great marriage? 
Nine Thoughts That Can Change Your Marriage shows how we often think wrongly about submission, sex, conflict, even anger, and how changing how you think can actually change how you feel and act, too. Don't settle for an okay marriage. Get a great marriage with Nine Thoughts That Can Change Your Marriage. Welcome to Millennial Marriage. I've got my daughter, Rebecca, with me. Hello. (laughs) And uh, what I want to talk about is how you can get your marriage off to a good start. I've got this awesome book by Dr. Ron Welch that was sent to us by Baker Books called 10 Choices Successful Couples Make. And Becca, I want to hear your take on this one. So one of them is I choose not to take you for granted. Here's what he says. The choice not to take each other for granted is all about preventing the deterioration of your relationship. Just like a healthy garden, a marriage needs to be tended and taken care of, and that's not an easy choice, and many of you will need to reevaluate your priorities. Okay, so given what you know about people who just get married when you're in the middle of school and finding new jobs, do you think that people start taking each other for granted? I think it's really easy to, for sure. I think that when you're in the middle of the stressful times that are usually happening during life at the same age as when you're kind of getting married, you're kind of settling down, that mid-20s to early 30s, or in my case, like, just 20. But (laughs) anywhere between ages 18 and, like, 35 is generally, you don't have everything all sorted out, right? Yeah, and, and what he's saying, too, is the things that you start doing when you're married can often slow down and you stop doing them. So, you know, at, at the beginning of the marriage, your husband stops getting your coat or he stops opening the door for you, but you tell yourself, well, you didn't need a man to do that anyway. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Or maybe your wife stops coming to watch you play softball and you think, well, she's just busy and pretty soon you're just not spending a lot of time together. Well, exactly. There's actually a lot of psychological research that shows that what habits you build in the first year, I think, of your marriage is what lasts for a longer time. And it's not necessarily the specific things you do, but more the the culture of your marriage. Yeah, I know that's something you really told your little sister when she got married. Yeah, exactly. You can't let these things slide at the beginning or they'll slide forever. (laughs) Or it'll just be harder to fix them later, right? Because we do get into these habits. But I think that more than anything... The problem with taking your spouse for granted, and the reason it's so hard, is that managing to not take someone for granted just requires practicing a lot of empathy all of the time, right? Because when Mm -hmm. it comes to marriage, it's so easy to kind of compare and to focus on, well, he's the man, so what should he be doing? Or, oh, well, she's the wife, so she should take care of all of this. And we don't empathize when we're doing that. Instead, what we're doing is stereotyping. And that's the complete opposite. Yeah, actually, let me read you this one example he's got, because I think it's really good. Over a period of time, you even start changing the tone of voice you use with each other. What used to be a kind request becomes a harsh reprimand. Sweetheart, could you please do the dishes from last night? I'd really appreciate it. Becomes, seriously, you didn't do the dishes from last night again? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I think that's what we do, isn't it? Like, you know, instead of instead of asking something nicely, we react and we blame them for things. Exactly. And I think that that goes two ways, because I think that a lot of times the reason that the spouse gets to the point where they're like, seriously, you didn't do the dishes is because the other spouse didn't take the time to not take their spouse for granted. Right. Right? Uh, so it's, it's a two-way street. It's not a, if your spouse is never doing the dishes, you should just always be really kind to them. Not necessarily. Like, be kind, yes, but don't be, like, nice all the time. Like, at some point, it needs to be, listen, you're not a child. I shouldn't <laughs> yeah. have to tell you to do this. And so this is what I expect, and this is what I expect you to live up to because you're capable. 
Right. And that's actually something that he brings into this chapter is how to deal with these things. And what he says is like, you've got to make it a priority if you're not going to take each other for granted to have some meeting times throughout the week. And he actually recommends on Sunday nights, sitting down, getting at your schedule and scheduling in a few key meetings. Um, and one of them is just, you know, that that check in which is where you just have the opportunity to talk. I often say that one of the best things that you could do every day is ask what your high low was. Like what was the time you felt best Mm. and what was the time you felt worst? Because then at least you're emotionally connecting. Like you know what went on during the day. Because if you're an introvert and your spouse says to you, so what did you do all day? Or what did you do today? That's a scary question. Or else it's just going to be very, very bland. Like, well, I drove to work and then I had lunch at noon and... Then yeah. I came back home and here we are. Like, <laughs> right. So share the high-low. But then as you're doing that, you can also do that check-in. Like, how are things going? How are you feeling about us? And that's when you can say, well, I've noticed you haven't done the dishes lately. And it would really make me happy if you did. You know? <laughs> exactly. Or it makes it, I would just really feel appreciated and seen if you stuck to the schedule that we both agreed to. Like, those kinds of things. Like, When he talks about not taking each other for granted, he doesn't mean put yourself down so that the other feels good. What he's saying is just make these healthy boundaries and then actually stick to them in a nice way. Yeah, and I think his idea of having the marriage check-in as well, and it could it could be something that you do every day, or it could be something that you do, you know, once a week, but when you know that on Sunday nights we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about how we're doing, then if there's something little that's bothering you on Wednesday and you're just not sure how to bring it up, at least there's a time that you know, hey, I can bring this up now. Yes, exactly. And I think that that can be really helpful for families where there's a lot of high stress time right now. And Mm -hmm. so the little things can turn into big blowouts. Whereas like if you have a couple days to kind of cool off and you know it's going to get handled, but maybe right now is not the time, you do have that that venting space later. Right. And the other issue, of course, too, is that often those little things don't get talked about. Exactly. And this gives you a time to talk about them. All right. Now, I know you have a lot of opinions on this last one, so I'm going to let you take this one away. But the other thing that he really wants people to have in their schedule is time together. And I think sometimes we misunderstand what time together should mean. And I know you have some definite thoughts on that. So I do, and they're not very popular. Okay, <laughs> let's hear it. We, we love stuff that's controversial. Okay, I personally hate date nights. Mm-hmm. I like doing fun things together, for sure. But I find, I Connor and I, and it may be just a personal thing, just an individual thing, but we find that just the, the typical date night idea is not very relaxing. Why not? Because all we want to do is get home. Because <laughs> we really, really like just being home together. And you like your dog. You know? <laughs> we love our dog. Our house isn't... Like, we've gotten a decent... Like, we're not super clean freaks yet. We're working on it. But our house is put together well enough that we can just relax at the end of the day. You know, we love to just snuggle up while, you know, he plays a video game. And maybe I'm, like, watching YouTube tutorials on quilting techniques or something. Like, we love that. And we really connect while we're doing it. And so the whole going out and spending $50 on a date just kind of stresses us out, to be honest. I mean, Skip the Dishes is our best friend as millennials. Right. And I know I know uh, Joanna, who also works on the blog, she and Josiah were over for um, their daughter's first birthday. We, we had them over for dinner last week. And one of the things that, you know, Joanna says is, why would we want to go out on a date when we like being home so much? <laughs> like they play a ton of board games and they do a ton of stuff together and they just really, really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And that's just the thing is I think that there's all this pressure to kind of get out of your home and go do things together. But I also think that although those things can be really fun, 
I mean, at some point, my goal for our marriage is that our home life isn't really one that we need to escape from. Because, I mean, I'm going to be honest. Even growing up, you guys didn't go on very many date nights. No, we didn't. You didn't. You were mostly home with us. We did take ballroom dancing lessons for a couple of years. That was super fun. But that is, I would say, that's different than the typical date night <laughs> idea. Like when Connor <laughs> and I used to go rock climbing together, or we used to actually go to the gym together a lot during our first year of marriage. Um, those were really fun. Like you're getting out and doing something. Sure, we went swing dancing a bunch. But I think that the typical date night where you just kind of go and you sit at a table and, well, it doesn't have a lot of appeal to me. Right. So instead, let's make sure that our home life is something that we enjoy, which means it can't be stressful. And you've got to have things that you just like doing together, whether it's board games or cuddling on the couch, or (laughs) you just like being together. And that's really hard to do if you get too busy. And I think that's the easiest way to start taking each other for granted. I think that's exactly it. No matter what, you need to have free time. Mm -hmm. You know, like Connor and I would not have a good time at home if we didn't have our evenings free right you know there's a reason that we don't we aren't on every single volunteer committee that we possibly could be because we need to have time to do nothing together because psychology shows that your time watching stupid cat videos on youtube that's your bonding time right you know not specifically cat videos they haven't actually studied that in psychology (laughs) but the idea of doing dumb time wasting kind of things together that's actually a lot of where you build that really strong bond. Right. Obviously, things like board games. Board games and stuff like that all fit in that kind of time-wasting idea where it's just nothing productive. Mm-hmm. You're just doing something for the sake of having fun while doing it. Mm-hmm. So... And that's why... Yeah, so... so- Message here, Dr. Ron Welch, I love the book, 10 Choices Successful Couples Make, but choose not to take each other for granted. So pay attention to those little things like I was talking about in the main segment. Um, Keep saying thank you, keep noticing the good things, but also just have some fun together. Do that marriage check-in and keep each other an essential part of your day and then you'll probably find that you snap at each other a lot less. And that honestly does mean opening up your schedule and getting cleaning routines in place so that your home life is not as stressful. Yes, that's very true too. (laughs) Yeah, that's a part of putting your marriage first. (laughs) That's something we had to learn. Swiffering the floors does mean putting our marriage first. It's a way you love your husband. (laughs) Thank you. Do you find chocolate and a bubble bath a lot more enticing than making love to your husband? Are you tired of always feeling too tired to have sex? and wish there was some way to switch your libido to the on position? The Boost Your Libido course takes you step-by-step through the different things that influence a woman's libido and can help you get from, not tonight, honey, to, hey, how you doing? Find them under courses at tolovehonorandvacuum.com. Every now and then I get a reader question, which I totally could have written, and this is one of those reader questions. She writes... I have struggled with my libido ever since I got married a couple of years ago. I can remember in the week leading up to my wedding, my body just like switched off and didn't respond to any touch or anything. And I feel like I haven't been able to find my libido since. Even when I have my period, my body is not the same as it used to be. I just feel like I don't have any libido at all. And do you have any suggestions on why this might be? I remember the exact moment mine did too. I I shared on the blog this week about my vaginismus and about what happened right after we got married. But I remember sitting at the wedding reception and my husband touched my leg and everything shut down. It was the weirdest feeling. I couldn't figure out what was going on. And I had had a similar feeling about a month before our wedding when somebody gave me this book on 
how to reach orgasm right at the get-go when you get married and it was so detailed and it was like he has to do this for eight minutes and touch here 243 times and I was a nervous wreck because I felt like I was going to do it all wrong but more than that it was this overwhelming feeling like I was no longer in control until then you know if I kissed him it was fun and all of that but the thought that once we got married, I was going to have to do something. It was it was almost like I didn't own my body anymore. And I know some of you listening to this might think, well, yeah, because it says in 1 Corinthians 7 that the wife's body belongs to the husband's and the husband's to the wife's. And yes, it does say that. But I think we need to be sensitive to the fact that that can be a very intimidating thing for a lot of women to feel because sex is being very vulnerable. It's letting someone into your body and that feeling as if I no longer have any choice can actually scare people. I have a post coming up next week on 10 times that biblically it is okay to refuse sex and we are going to talk about that more next week. So important. Because yes, your body does belong to your husband and your husband's to you, but you also do matter. And it's not as if you can no longer say no. What it is instead is that we need to be working towards a healthy sexual relationship. And that can only happen when the woman feels like she is freely giving herself to him. When you feel like you're being forced, even if it's like religiously forced because you feel like God doesn't give you a choice, Sex can be very intimidating and it can cause us to lose our libidos. And I think that's probably what's going on here with this woman. I don't know if it's completely what's going on, but it probably is part of what's going on. So I do believe sex should be a really important part of marriage. It took me a long time to figure out though what sex was supposed to be because in my mind I had it very messed up. You can get a lot of that from the Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex. I really recommend that for this woman, especially who's been struggling. I think a lot of what she's struggling with is seeing sex in a good way. And when you feel as if I no longer have a choice, you can panic. And that's what was going on with me. I think it was a panic response. And she might have a little bit of that panic response too. My Boost Your Libido course can also help because it, again, talks about sex in a very different way and it gives you permission to look forward to it, like you're allowed to be a sexual being. So try both of those resources out. But I just want to tell people, if this is what you're feeling, it's okay to acknowledge it and it is something real that a lot of women feel. The root of it, I believe, is because we feel like we're being forced into something and that can cause a panic reaction. So instead of making women feel forced, we need to teach women that sex is a positive thing and that sex is a wonderful thing in marriage and that sex actually has a lot of benefits for you and can help you feel really intimate. When you understand that in a much more concrete way, a lot of that panic reaction goes away. podcast I like to highlight a couple of comments or emails that came in and there were a lot of great comments on my post about can the do not deprive verses actually apply to women's needs and I just want to read to you one woman's comment she says this was such an awesome post I have long wondered who came up with the idea that the half of the population that is in possession of a clitoris and capable of successive orgasms is the less sexual half she's got a really good point there okay 
If I may say it, in a way, I think you're way too nice to men. If you think your wife is less sexual, you might just be bad in bed. I would argue, however, that your point that it's not always or even mostly men who are doing this to women, it's women ourselves. I agree that it is women themselves and as far as they've internalized the purity message, but that message was preached largely by men. Think about who heads most churches, authors, most books, books, etc. So in that sense, it is men who have done this to women. They need to apologize, like Josh Harris did with I Kiss Dating Goodbye, and, as you suggested, start a different conversation. So thank you. I hope men hear you and really change the conversation. Men are, unfortunately, still more likely to listen to other men than to women. So if we could get a few more to get our message out, that would really help. Okay. Um, first of all, I, I, I don't know that if your wife is less sexual, it necessarily means that a guy is bad in bed. Um, <laughs> I think that men do need to be way more cognizant of the fact that women need foreplay. Absolutely. But it isn't always that way. But I think that she does have a point in that, you know, there's only so much women can do because it does tend to be men who write books. One of the things that often frustrates me is that as a woman, I can write books to other women, but I can't write general marriage books. Only men can write general marriage books. We also find at marriage conferences, like at Family Life Canada, for the last 20 years, for as long as we've been involved, and even longer than that, they've always had couples doing all of the talks. In Family Life in the US, they have a lot of men alone doing talks. And then there there is a couple as well that speaks, but she mostly speaks to women. So you don't have a couple up there speaking. I don't understand that because when you're talking about marriage, you need the woman's perspective. And yet so often we just haven't had that in the Christian church and that does need to stop. But in terms of how we can change the conversation, I don't think it is entirely up to men. I think if women just start speaking up, I honestly think a lot of guys will listen because I think a lot of men just don't know this stuff and they don't realize how what they're saying about sex and the way that they portray sex actually hurts women's sex drives. I've been talking to a lot of male authors behind the scenes about this and I'm amazed at how actually open they are to this because, you know, the conversation that I generally have with them goes something like this. Look, I know that you talk to so many men in your offices who are married to women who never want sex and who are just absolutely distressed because their wives have no libido. And at the same time, they're struggling with porn and they don't know what to do. And so as a pastor, as an author, you see this and you panic and you think, how can we get women to understand how badly men feel? And so you do all of these sermons and write all of these books trying to get women to understand how men feel. And what I'm telling you is that that doesn't work. I mean, you can say that till the cows come home, but women already know that men really want sex. What women need to be told and what women are not being told is that they need it too and that it was designed for them as well. And men are actually quite open to this message, I think. At least if you are a good godly man, you are open to this message. If you are if you are not someone who believes that men should be controlling women, you are open to this message because this message is biblical. <laughs> and so any guy who is truly following Jesus will actually be open to this message because I think a lot of these men who write marriage books, they do want women to have good sex drives. And if you explain it to them that the more you talk about obligation sex, the more you turn women off. And instead, we need to be talking about how God created sex to be mutual. It was designed for both people. Both people matter. Then you actually help women discover that they do have a libido too. But in terms of what we women can do, here's another great email that I received about a similar post. She says, 
I want to thank you for your work and your passion for Christian families. After reading your posts about the Love and Respect book, I was quite upset to see that it is currently offered in our church library. I brought up the topic with my husband and sister, who both rightly advised that I read the book before officially requesting that it be removed from the church library. Personally, I don't think you actually do have to read it before requesting that. Just trust me that it's bad. And if you read my posts, I've got lots of synopses, but okay. I've read half the book and I don't have the will to read it fully. It is so discouraging. I found that for a book about love and respect, it sure wasn't written in a loving and respectful manner. So here she is. She's looked at the book. She totally agrees that it's bad. And so she's going to tell her church librarian. And I think that is how these things start, is that we just start speaking up. So, you know, if somebody in your church recommends that you have a small group on love and respect, don't just not go to the small group. Tell the person leading it why it's a bad idea. Tell your pastor why you think it's a bad idea and just speak up because the more we speak up, the more people listen. And I really think that the majority of the people who are preaching that we need to have sex a lot because of men's needs and who are ignoring the fact that women should be considered at least in the sexual realm, I think they just don't realize they're doing it. I really do. And so I think the more that we speak up, the more we can affect change. Let's not assume that all of this stuff that's going on is because people have ill will towards women. I think a lot of it's ignorance and it often doesn't take very much to change people's opinions. So we can change the world. So let's start speaking up. Thanks for joining me on this To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire, and this week, as you go about your life, I invite you to join us in changing marriage. Change the way we see marriage by speaking up about what God really intended, but change your own marriage by not taking each other for granted. Scan for things to praise, scan for opportunities to connect, and just enjoy being together. Thanks to Revell Books and 10 Choices That Successful Couples Make by Ron Welch for sponsoring this. Have a great week, and join us again next time as we continue to to look at what healthy and mutual sex should be like.